Check one, two, one, two. Today on Blue 58, Brian Gutekunst once again has done it his own way, albeit exactly in the way we've come to expect. Nope, no wide receivers so far, but the Packers GM stuck to his tendencies and drafted big athletes early. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Well, that was certainly different, wasn't it? Unexpected. Things went a little bit weirdly for the Packers in the first round, albeit, like we said in the opening, not in entirely unexpected ways. Maybe the position that came off the board at number 22 was unexpected, but the overall result, I guess, is not entirely a surprise. We know Brian Gutekunst loves big athletic players, and he got a couple of them in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. But no wide receivers. And looking back now on how the first round played out, I'm not entirely sure how big a surprise that is. I meant to say this in the final pre-draft preview podcast, but I think, as we've seen, there's a scenario where the Packers didn't pick a receiver in the NFL or in the in the first round of the NFL draft, and it's not really that hard to envision how that would have played out. And it basically played out how we probably should have expected. Unless somebody fell to the Packers, the trade-up situation gets pretty difficult. The wide receiver run was tough for the Packers. And talking through it, I'm not really sure how many first-round receivers really fit with the Packers anyway, considering how that run wiped them out. Drake London goes eighth overall. Big, strong, fast guy, sure. If he's on the board at 22 or 28, you can probably see the Packers picking him just given what they like to do at the position. But eight is probably too high for him in general, and it's higher than the Packers would have gone, so it really doesn't matter trade-up-wise what it would have taken to get there. They're just not going to do that. As much as Brian Gutekunst loves to trade up, that just seems like too big a jump, 22 to eight, to get in the conversation for the top-end guys. 10-11-12, 10-11-12, you've got Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams coming off the board. Wilson and Olave, to an extent, and, and Williams too, I guess, are more or less tendency breakers for the Packers in terms of size. And Williams has a torn ACL. But say you did want to go up and get Wilson or Olave. Let's say Olave. What do you give up? Well, the Packers need to get to 11th to get Olave there. If they traded 22 and 53, you're almost there on most trade value charts. Looking at the Rich Hill model just before we re-recorded here, it's within about 10 points of value on that that model. If you say, hey, I forget even who had the pick before New Orleans traded up there. You want 22 and 53, I would say most people probably take that deal. And knowing that you also have another first and another second round pick, maybe that deal makes sense for you. But let me put it to you this way. Would you have traded Devontae Adams for Chris Olave straight up? I don't think I would. And I'm not sure that really scratches the itch in terms of value if you're looking to just get a rookie receiver, a guy who's probably going to need a little time to come along here. 16 gets us to Jahan Dotson, and he's off the board for me just because of his size. Way too small. Basically fast Amari Rodgers. If you're picking him late on day two, or maybe maybe just late in the second round, I could see it. At 16, I just don't see the Packers doing that. 
Traylon Burks at 18, you start to see it a little bit. A lot of people had him mocked to the Packers at 22. He was very productive, but a very poor tester. And given that the Packers have publicly said they wanted to get faster at receiver, you have a hard time seeing it there. Then you get to 22. George Pickens and Christian Watson are on the board. By and large, I think that's what people think are the the next couple best options there. Maybe you don't like those guys at 22, but you feel like, okay, you got to get a receiver. So you take one of them. Well, you just reached ahead of everybody else in the draft because no one else liked them in the first round. So you're really just picking purely for need there, which, as we've talked about in the past, is not necessarily the best way to go about things. So I think as much as it stings to not get a pass rusher or pass catcher, excuse me, here in the first round, you can see the thinking here. I don't know if I want to give up a a one and a two to go up and get one player, especially given that he's probably going to need some time to settle in. Ultimately, if you're still looking at the wide receiver position from a macro level, all of this is evidence for why the Packers should have been picking receivers for the past few years. They should have been investing more in this position because now they're in this position where, yes, they really do have to pick a receiver. Brian Gutekunst said after the first round tonight that he didn't think they had to take one on day two. Brian, think harder. Yes, you do. You need a, some, some more higher-end talent at receiver. Because right now it's Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard and pretty much nobody else. Randall Cobb, aging. Amari Rogers hasn't figured out if he's an NFL football player yet. Then it's Juwan Winfrey and Malik Taylor and a bunch of other practice squad guys. Yes, you need more bodies at receiver. You do. And you should have been investing more to this point. That's why people start losing their mind. And that's why as much as it might make sense for you to sit back and say, okay, well, you don't have to take a receiver at 22. You don't have to take one at 28. It's true. But the people who are flying off the handle, okay, maybe you shouldn't react that much to it, but you still have a point. Yes, the Packers do need a receiver, and they should have been investing there before. That doesn't mean they should have just picked whoever was on the board at 22 or traded up to get whoever. But yes, the Packers do have a need there, and they haven't addressed it now for years. And now they're in a position where they lost two of their top three guys this offseason. And, well, we're waiting to see how they fill that that hole. The other big question before we get to the guys they actually did pick was, should they have gone with an edge rusher? Watching George Karlaftis come off the board after the Packers picked at 28, a couple picks later at 30, obviously. But this is going to be my last question related to George there and uh, and a couple other prospects on the board as well. I have individual questions about both the guys the Packers picked, but the biggest one is positional value. Linebacker and defensive tackle, both important in their own way. Defensive lineman, let's just say that for Devontae Wyatt. Both important. Neither as important as edge rusher. And the Packers have a need there on the edge. And one of the best consensus best prospect at edge was available there for sure at 28. The Packers didn't go that direction. So this to me almost looks like the defensive version in some ways of the 2020 draft. It's not that the guy that you're taking is bad per se. 
It's just that relative to other positional needs and positional values, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball when you don't necessarily have to. You're passing on receivers who might be a reach where you're drafting to take guys with a lower positional value anyway. And I think it's interesting that we're talking about wide receiver versus linebacker and defensive line because I think we're in more or less the ballpark there on positional value. You don't need a great inside linebacker to win, but it's good to have one. The Packers had one already. You don't necessarily need super deep defensive line help, though it is good to have, but the Packers had some options there already. But, you know, there were some holes on the defensive line too. I don't think anybody expected the Packers to fill them uh, in round one. But let's talk about these guys specifically. Starting with Quay Walker, the Packers take him at 22. Six foot three, 241 pounds, out of Georgia. Nine six three relative athletic score, four five two in the forty. Pretty good to elite agility numbers. Elite in the broad jump with the ten foot two inch leap. What you like about Quay Walker is his versatility. At Georgia, he's always done a little bit of everything, and I think that's going to continue to that end. Ninety snaps, according to Pro Football Focus, covering the slot for Georgia in 2021. Ninety snaps as a slot defender. At six foot three, six foot four, by some estimates, and two hundred and forty-one pounds. That's pretty unique. You like the athleticism overall. We already touched on the testing numbers. If you were going to build a more athletic version of Devondre Campbell, it'd probably look a lot like Quay Walker. And he's pretty darn good in coverage, above seventy in his coverage grade according to Pro Football Focus, and also rarely misses tackles. The Devondre Campbell comps continue to add up. 4.3% missed tackle rate for Quay. Not too shabby. If you want to talk about stuff you don't like, though, I think it's fair to call him a bit of a late bloomer. He didn't start until his last season at Georgia. There are some people offering legitimate questions about whether he was even the best linebacker available in this year's draft from Georgia. And we could talk about how he compares to Devin Lloyd, too, overall. You also can't really call him a playmaker. Sure, he's got some sacks on blitzes. But for his career as a Bulldog, zero interceptions. Zero fumbles forced. Zero passes defensed. He has literally never gotten his hand on the ball. Not one time. He recovered a fumble, sure. Never forced a fumble, never caused an interception. Never created an interception, never intercepted a ball, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Never even knocked a ball out of the out of the air. Not one time. That is a that's a significant red flag for me. That took him well out of tier one in our linebacker evaluations. In terms of how he fits with the Packers, though, I think there is reason to be optimistic, even if he hasn't made a ton of plays on the ball so far in his big-time football career. And both with Walker and with Wyatt, we've got to talk about the Georgia caveat. We talked about this with Trevon Walker, the first overall pick in the draft, and we talked about it with Wyatt and with Jordan Davis. But there's only so many plays to go around on which you can make a play in a given football game. And with a defense as talented as Georgia's, five first-round picks this year, this evening, I should say even, uh, there are there are only so many opportunities you're going to have to 
get some of those counting stats. I think it's fair to point out that, he, yes, Walker didn't have them, those, you know, those high-end plays, those splash plays, but you need to add a little context as to why. And the context with all Georgia guys is that, well, you know, there's just only so many opportunities to make a play. And when you're dealing with a bunch of other potential first-round picks, well, there's just only so much you can do. Walker, it, it is fair to say, did not rise above those teammates. But also, there's only so many chances to make a play. Overall, though, I think there's a chance that he ends up having a really nice fit here with the Packers. And you can talk about positional versatility and things like that and you know, questions about where he should fit on a defense and, and all of those sorts of things. But the reality for him is that he's not going to have to do a lot of the playmaking for the Packers anyway. And in fact, they may not really even want their linebackers doing that. What they got out of Devondre Campbell last year was more assignment-sure sorts of football. He showed up for a 1,000 snaps on defense last year and was assignment-sure on virtually every one of them. He was in the right spot. He made tackles where he was supposed to. He blitzed when he was supposed to. He did all of those things. And Campbell's going to be counted upon to do those same things again this year. But where the Packers' defense, I feel, got in a little bit of trouble is when they wanted to do things with other linebackers or players who played like linebackers. That'd be your safeties dropping down into the box and stuff like that. So say the Packers want to go out in a nickel formation. Normal, you know, defensive front, two linebackers on the field, five defensive backs, three corners, two safeties. You know how all that works. Last year, when you've got Devondre Campbell out there, who are you putting next to him? You've got Oren Burks. You've got Chris Barnes. You've got Ty Summers. You've got Isaiah McDuffie. Can any of those players really do anything exceptional at all? Oren Burks is the closest one to being something exceptional, I would say, and that's just because of his athletic abilities. But none of them is a particularly good coverage guy. None of them is a particularly good tackler, though Barnes is the best of the bunch. And he's hardly a bad tackler. None of those guys is really going to ever make a play on the ball. They're all just really slowed down versions of, of past Packers linebackers. Guys that are just going to pile up tackles and be a as close to a non-liability as you can be on defense. You can't really play matchups with them. You can't really use their abilities to tilt the field towards you in any, any way, shape, or form. They're just not really plus players. They're not necessarily going to make you worse. Chris Barnes, for instance, is not going to wreck your defense. But you can't really use him to force the offense to react to you. Campbell gets you in that direction. And adding Walker to what Campbell can do can take you even further. The Packers have talked previously about not really envisioning having roles for their cornerbacks this fall. I think we're heading towards a situation where the Packers have two linebackers and it's a similar sort of situation. You don't necessarily need one guy to do one thing and the other guy to do the other thing. You can have them take care of their responsibilities on a given play or for sure within a given game based on the matchups you see. 
say you little need a little bit more coverage, okay, maybe you put Walker in situations where he needs to cover a little bit more. You're needing a little bit more run defense, okay, you lean a little bit more heavily on Devondre Campbell, or even within individual sort of play-by-play chess matches, you just switch around what those guys are doing because they have skill sets that overlap, and you can make the defense or make the offense start to react to you. Previously, if you've got Chris Barnes out there next to Devondre Campbell, the offense is just looking for where Chris Barnes is, and there's your weak spot on the defense. How do we exploit it? Okay, Walker is going to make it so that that doesn't necessarily exist in the same way, at least. And on top of that, the Packers don't have to give up size to get some of those things where maybe things are tilting your way a little bit more. They don't have to put a safety in at their nickel linebacker spot just so they can you know, match up with a tight end. Walker, in theory, should be able to do those sorts of things. It's not the pick I'd have made, but you can see the reasoning here. He's a tremendous athlete. And he gives the Packers another matchup-altering piece on defense. And in an era where the Packers have not had that at linebacker really in about as long as I think we can collectively remember, now, in theory at least, they've got two. And that's pretty interesting. Devontae Wyatt. Few picks go by after Walker. The Packers are on the board again at 28. The selection is six foot two inch Devontae Wyatt out of the University of Georgia. Another Bulldog. 6'2, 304 pounds, a 9'6 relative athletic score for Mr. Wyatt. He ran a hilarious 477 40 yard dash at 304 pounds. Also a broad jump of 9 feet 3 inches. Also a 745 three cone time, which is faster than one Eric Stokes, his former defensive teammate. Look, you want athletic pass rushers on the defensive front? You got one. 9-6 is the third best defensive lineman score in the draft behind Jordan Davis and Thomas Booker, who might be better categorized as an edge rusher. That's pretty, that's, that's a good start, a great start. Currently, I would say he's probably the second most athletic defensive lineman or edge rusher behind Rashawn Gary. He's got some good advanced numbers on pass rushing too. A 13.1% pass rush rate, win rate from Pro Football Focus. Pass rush grade in the upper 80s, even low 90s most of the time. Good. You don't like his raw number productions. Again, we've got the Georgia caveat here, but in 42 career games for the Bulldogs, Mr. Wyatt managed just 12 tackles for loss and five sacks. A production ratio of just 0.40. That's significantly, well, not significantly, that is lower than Jordan Davis had. He was at 0.45. He did play one more game than Davis did, but well below what we'd traditionally be looking for. Logan Hall, for instance, the next most athletic defensive lineman, had a production ratio of 0.78. Travis Jones, who I mocked to the Packers at 22 in my mock draft, had a production ratio of 0.83 and was a a 9-4 relative athletic score. I, I think we're being a little bit nitpicky here if you talk about those sorts of things. But still... Five sacks, 12 tackles for loss in 49 games is not not great. 
There are also some concerns about some off-field stuff. And look, I want to talk about this carefully because off-field stuff gets exaggerated time after time after time, year after year after year. And it sounds a little bit gross to say it, but let me say this as delicately as I can. You start throwing around words like domestic violence, and it's easy to tar and feather a guy with those two words alone. But there's domestic violence, and then there's domestic violence, right? I think we all understand that. And if you read some of the stuff about what Wyatt is accused of, and in some cases charged with, there is no information about him causing any sort of physical harm to anybody. There are some bad situations there. He was arrested and charged with three misdemeanors related to one incident in 2020. The charges were later dropped. There were a few other incidents, though we don't have details about those. Brian Gutekunst says there were two or three. Other places I've looked into say it's three instances of domestic violence, according to stuff from some private investigators. Again, there's domestic violence and there's domestic violence, but that is all the details that we have. I don't say this to say, oh, he's a bad person. We shouldn't have drafted him. I don't say this to excuse anything that's happened with him. You've got to make your own decision how you feel about that. All I'm saying here is that it's part of the Devontae Wyatt story so far. If you're inclined, you could maybe call it immaturity. If you're inclined to not want anything to do with that sort of person or person who's been in those sorts of situations, I think that is your prerogative as well. If you're just talking about it purely from a perspective of, do I like this? Do I not like this? I would see where you, I could easily see where you come down on the, I don't like this side, but there is a pretty substantial amount of reporting on his off field stuff out there that you have to make those caveats or talk about those sorts of things, I think is enough to move that into a negative for me. However, do the research yourself, do the reading yourself come to your own conclusion. Maybe it bothers you. Maybe it doesn't. How he fits with the Packers, I think, is very similar to Walker. Whereas Walker is a sort of super sidekick for Devondre Campbell, Wyatt seems like he's going to be a super sidekick for Kenny Clark. The Packers now have matchup options in the secondary, at inside linebacker, and now on the defensive line. Say, for instance, you want to go with Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, and Dean Lowry. You've got a power rusher, a power rusher, and then a guy with some length. Say you dev- you you bump Rashawn Gary inside. You've got Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, Devontae Wyatt on your defensive line right now. A power rusher, a speed rusher, another power rusher. And calling Wyatt a power rusher may not even be entirely accurate. He wins a lot of the time with speed. But now the Packers can take advantage of different offensive line strengths and weaknesses by changing the configuration of the guys that they put out there without, again, really losing any size, no matter who they're choosing. The Packers, after these selections, and after retaining Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas, have virtually innumerable different options for their defensive configurations. In addition to having a high level of talent, in addition to having a high level of athleticism on defense, that I don't want to say, you know, is going to be an elite defense because you never really know. Injuries can happen. Strategies can change. The, maybe the league just figures out what Joe Barry does. But 
that is a really solid foundation. Having options is really the ultimate goal. And the Packers have a ton of options as a result of these two selections. Again, the questions are still probably going to be there about positional value or whether the Packers should have gone in a different direction with one of these picks. Devontae Wyatt versus George Karloftis is a perfect example. Wyatt, a great addition to the Packers' defensive front from a talent perspective, from what he can do for your defense perspective. Karloftis is almost the exact same kind of addition at a position where the Packers have a pronounced need, an edge rusher. He could do a lot of those same sorts of things. You want to have a a powerful pass rushing package with a, a mix of size in there too. What about Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, George Karloftis on the field together? Or a three-edge package with uh, Clark, Karloftis, Gary, and Preston Smith. You can see the options there. Wyatt doesn't necessarily give the Packers more options than Karloftis, though he is an elite run defender on the inside. And maybe that's the defining feature there, the defining difference between him and and an edge rusher. But the question of positional value, I think, is going to remain an open one. What comes next for the Packers then? They still have some needs. They have a need at wide receiver. Brian Gutekunst says, we don't have to pick one on day two. You should. You should probably start investing in some pass catchers. They still have a need on the edge. I would say they're probably not in a situation now where they're going to be uh, doubling up on edge rushers. The premium blue chippers seem to, to probably be gone either now or by the time the Packers get on the board again. But you could probably get a developmental prospect with some serious physical upside here in, for sure in the third round or the, the fourth or fifth. And then the Packers probably still should do some work at safety. They need a, a third guy behind Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. Amos is a free agent next year. Savage is going to be a free agent here in the, in the relatively near future. You need to start backfilling there too. Don't get to the point where you have to take one and then try to figure it out there. The Packers need to to be investing there. Overall, having given it some space, now sitting here at 1 o'clock in the morning Eastern time, I've cooled off a little bit on, on initial surprise and, and shock at, at these picks. You can see the thought process here. And true to form, Brian Gutekunst is picking big athletes. We didn't get the receiver that I, I predicted, But we did get a big guy. That's half right, I guess. And it was from Georgia. That was another one of the predictions that the Packers would would go back to a school that they've been to recently. They took Eric Stokes in the first round last year. That worked out pretty well. Now the Packers are trying it with two other Georgia defenders with similar profiles to Stokes. Maybe not as as highly regarded as some. Though, I should say, Devontae Wyatt, considered by at least one source, uh, Dane Brugler and his tremendous draft guide, The Beast, every year, Uh, to be the best defensive lineman in the class. So we shouldn't let that go without saying either. Um, The Packers have a ton of options on defense now. They've added some real athletic prospects, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together this summer and fall in Green Bay. So I've got for you in this episode, we will be back with recaps of days two and three of the draft. Should be out Monday morning. We'll see how that goes. Uh, But I'm excited to see what what happens on days two and three for the Packers. And I hope you are as well. Uh, If you haven't 
now is a really good time to consider joining our, our Patreon. Uh, that gets you access to our Discord server. We have had a blast talking through the first round so far about uh, all the different suits that we saw on guys, whether, you know, guys were reaches, what we are kind of instant reaction to all the picks. If that is of interest to you, really strongly consider uh, joining our Patreon, getting access to that Discord server. Talk with some Packers fans from all over the world. We had fans from Germany, Serbia, the United States, obviously, um, different parts of the United Kingdom. It's quite a, a United Nations of Packers fans in there, and I'd love to have you be a part of it. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode. We will see you after the draft is over, uh, trying to see what the Packers do from here. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you would share it with somebody you think would enjoy it too that's going to help more people find the show and ultimately help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.